0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com.
1: Thank you for listening. Welcome to this week's edition of Healthcare Insight. We're so glad that you joined us and hope you've been following along in this series of podcasts on how to create a private free market system. For those of you who have been watching, we've got a new banner behind us here just to emphasize the name of Healthcare Insight as the name of these uh, broadcasts and how to get in touch with us on uh, americaswebradio.com and on also at uh, health insight, healthcareinsight.net. So let's just back up for a second in this fourth in our series of podcasts and uh, do a little bit of a summary before we move forward. Uh, many people who are picking this up, uh, may not have been involved in the earlier session, so let's just do a quick recap and go through frequently asked questions that have come up from the first several sessions. The first is, what is the difference between health care and health insurance reform? Well, while they're intertwined, health care is how one receives services from medical providers, that is the doctors and hospitals. And health insurance is how one finances those medical services. A negative interaction arises when health insurance limits access, restricts treatments, denies coverage, or unnecessarily intervenes between the patient-provider relationship and controls the delivery of provider care and treatments. We'll often talk in these sections about what is self-insurance. Well, self-insurance or self-insured group health plans is one in which the employer assumes the financial risks for providing health care benefits to its employees. Typically large employer-sponsored plans are self-insured. They're also sometimes referred to as self-funded plans. So what is the other term that many of you uh, probably heard? What is fully insured versus self-insured that we just described? Well, a fully insured health plan is the more traditional way to insure and structure an employer-sponsored health plan. With a fully insured health plan, the business pays a premium to the insurance carrier for the payment of any claims. Now, there's some other terms, especially around these ideas that are developing on the political front, socialized medicine versus private markets. Well, are Americans supportive Of socialized medicine. A recent Reuters poll found that Americans initially supported Medicare for All 56% to 42%, a 14 point differential in favor of Medicare for All. But once people are told that a government run system could lead to delays in getting care or higher taxes, the support for Medicare for All plunged from 56% to 26%. So on the flip side, are Americans supportive of private health insurance? Well, 71% of Americans are satisfied with their current employer-provided health coverage. And since not everybody gets employer-provided health care, many are with government programs. Of that 71%, that represents a 73% satisfaction rate for those 76.2% of Americans age 64 down to A zero, non-Medicaid, non-Medicare population, basically, who get their coverage through an employer-sponsored, employer-subsidized group plan. So clearly, Americans are much more in favor of private health insurance than they are of socialized medicine, especially once they understand the problems and difficulties of socialized medicine. So what are the problems with socialized medicine? Well, socialized medicine and government-controlled health insurance is a seductive concept. Americans have little knowledge of the problems, restrictions, treatment, limitations, time delays, poor quality of facilities, and limited service in the socialized system. Socialized medicine is generally promoted as one having equal access to universal care. In many European countries, this is referred to as solidarity. That's a common term you'll hear among progressives and among Europeans talking about their health insurance. The reality for patients though, is equal delays and limited service for all in need of treatments. In Germany, healthcare system that I have studied in other European countries with socialized medicine, the reality of solidarity is a false concept. Government officials, unions, teachers, and other favored groups have access to better insurance, faster medical care, and better treatments than does the average public or Joe Sixpack. But private insurance isn't great either. And what were the problems with private insurance pre-Obamacare? We had a lot of problems. We did not have a free market pre-Obamacare. So what were the problems of that so-called private insurance pre-Obamacare? Well, there are no implications that pre-Obamacare healthcare was a great system or showed America at its finest. In fact, it lacked many features of a free market. Consumers were powerless when seeking to purchase coverage from insurers they could put it in an application, then they just had to wait and see if by the luck of the draw or the luck of the underwriting process that they made it through. But they didn't know for sure that they had coverage when they made the application. They didn't know that they were guaranteed to have a product at some price or with some restrictions. They could just be rejected outright and they'd have no understanding as to why. Third, the cost and quality information was non-existent. If you don't know the cost of services and you can't compare quality across different providers, you really don't have a free market. Fourth, individual consumers had little or no power to negotiate premiums or understand why they were rejected for coverage. And fifth, limited competition among insurers as they consolidated into larger and larger entities. Consumers were restricted from various coverage alternatives, of planned choices, of innovation in services and in products. And it's certainly restricted in terms of the pricing competition because there just weren't many options. So there is no intent to revert to that system. Republicans must coalesce around a new health insurance system that is consumer-driven and patient-centric. And that's the key. It has to be consumer-driven and patient-centric. So how would the United States move to a socialized system if that was the direction we hit? Well, that debate will likely be resolved through the political process of elections. If Democrats control Congress and the presidency, the country will move in the direction of expanded government insurance Things like Medicare for All or a single-payer system. The Democrats' version of private market, if that's where they want to make changes rather than the full government takeover, or maybe as an interim step, some version of private market, would involve more Obamacare subsidies, increased regulations, and expanded Medicaid. Not really private market, just more government control under the guise of letting the private market Insurance companies do the processing. If Republicans control power in Washington, D.C., private market reforms will be allowed to finally repeal the Affordable Care Act. Large group regulatory relief can be given, certificates of guaranteed coverage will be provided, and the Impaired Health Support Group, which we'll fully describe today in one of the other sessions. Impaired Health Support Group, which is a structure for the uninsurables, the people who need the most help, the sickest among us. We're going to be able to create something that helps the sickest among us. That's the real key to a fair, compassionate private market system. So private market solutions for these populations would create a consumer-driven and patient-centric set of products and services So let's talk about some other questions that have come in since we first started these uh, podcasts. Is Obamacare in a death spiral? Now we spent a whole session talking about that, but yes, Obamacare no longer works. Obamacare is in the end stages of an actuarial death spiral. Obamacare depended on mandating that younger participants buy insurance and pay more than their actuarial equivalents in order to offset the higher costs of older participants. With the elimination of the individual mandate and associated tax penalties in 2019, young and healthy individuals can now legally avoid purchasing overly expensive Obamacare insurance. That means only the sickest will remain. Only those who expect to have major medical expenses will purchase insurance. So what about the repeal and replace legislation? The Republican challenge is no longer to repeal and replace Obamacare by itself, especially just repealing. We are beyond the point of no return. We are beyond the Tea Party opposition to government control of health care. We are beyond the anger of the 2010-2016 elections and the lie that if you want to keep your doctor, you can keep your doctor. We are beyond the lie that the Affordable Care Act will reduce premiums by $2,500 per family. Remember when all those promises were made? They were promises broken. But most Americans are now facing the dire prospect of a failed Obamacare with no acceptable alternative that they understand. Americans are justifiably worried that under a Republican plan, they will not be covered for pre-existing conditions. To date, Republicans have simply had bumper sticker slogans about pre-existing conditions, but no structured, definitive, outline plan has ever been made available to the general public. Not that there haven't been attempts, but they really haven't gone very far, and there's been no coalescing around a single approach. So, with all that, won't Democrats just be blamed for the failure of Obamacare? Well, I believe Republicans will be blamed by the Democrats and the media for the failing of Obamacare. They will say Republicans failed to address the issues to improve Obamacare, and Republicans never offered a viable alternative. And unfortunately, there's a lot of truth in those statements. Since the passage of the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare in 2010, Republicans have been long on slogans and general concepts and too short on specifics for a plan to repeal and replace Obamacare. Well, I'm excited about the great response we've had so far on this series of podcasts. I don't know if you're watching it on the video because it's available in some cases on the uh, website, on YouTube, on uh, healthcareinsight.net. Uh, if you go on to YouTube, it's under americaswebradio.com. You'll search for Healthcare Insight. And we should be able to work together to understand what needs to get done and be able to work with those folks around us. We may know a politician. We may know an influencer. We may know somebody in the insurance industry. We may know an elected official or somebody running for the office that we can talk to about health reform, and we can point them to some of this information. So we're going to be back in just a few more minutes for the next segment. We're going to really delve into more of the details now that we've covered some of those questions and answers as a area we can just get everybody up to the same speed as we move forward here so let's find out more about the details about how and why all this will work the system that i've been calling maga health
2: perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction if not you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol So call 770 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
0: Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them.
1: Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is Healthcare Insight, where we try to give you some ideas on how to create the possible. We're not talking about academic solutions. We're not talking about ivory tower thinking. We're not talking about the impossible brainstorming. We're talking about things that can practically be done, make they can be done now, and we can be done in a very short order to help you out there who are looking for good healthcare being able to go to the providers you want, where you want, and when you want. So welcome back to America's Web Radio. Let's get in into the details. We've talked about why MAGA Health, why the private market health insurance system is needed. Let's now talk about what is MAGA Health, what is the private market option that we've been talking about. Is it going to be perfect? It's pretty darn good. But obviously, the whole idea of legislation, if that's what it ultimately comes to, is getting input from multiple sides to try to improve it, to try to reflect the concerns that others might have. But I think it's a great way to start. Instead of starting with a blank sheet, we're going to start with this concept of a private free market health insurance that I happen to call MAGA Health. And how does it actually work? Well, MAGA Health is a health insurance reform plan that promises every American will have access to affordable health insurance, comprehensive major medical health insurance that will cover any and all pre-existing conditions. They're really, it's a very simple, direct, and easily communicated to the general public Because there are no gaps in coverage, health insurance policies are guaranteed to be issued to anyone wanting coverage. No one is required to buy insurance against their will, but 100% of Americans will be able to purchase affordable health insurance. There are simply three easy, basic steps they are going to be a part of MAGA Health that will show how anybody will fall under one of these three steps. The first is you make an application, as you did pre-Obamacare. Make an application and acceptance by a participating insurer. And they can ask whatever questions they want, including health questions. Now the reality, even though there were some companies that abused the underwriting process, or turned down people without giving them really good reasons as to why they were turned down, or increased their premiums, but made it unaffordable for many people who wanted insurance, needed insurance. The reality is that 88 to 89% of applications made where there was a follow-up answer to a question, 88 to 89% actually got health insurance, have health insurance, that they needed and wanted. So the first is just to make the application as we historically did. The second is if you're rejected, either as an individual or as part of a group, there's somebody in the group that was uninsurable, they would go to an impaired health support plan through an application to a health review authority. The health review authority would be a new public-private entity. So they would review that rejected application. And if that person really should have gotten coverage from an insurance company, they'll be given a certificate of guaranteed coverage. That will get in a lot more detail because that's a real important new entity and a new process to equalize and level the playing field between the individual making an application, a small group making an application, and the potential rejection that they might have gotten in the pre-Obamacare world. We're now going to equalize the power between the application and the approval process so it's not so arbitrary. So that's the second. And we'll get into a lot of detail on how that works and how the interactions of the authority and the governance and the structure and the rules and regulations for getting that certificate of guaranteed coverage. But that's actually about another 9 or 10% of the population would qualify for that. The third option is a participation in this impaired health support group. Those would be people who are uninsurable. And that the determination of being uninsurable would be this health review authority. And if you are uninsurable from the health condition you either have or the genetic impairment that you have, that would be a very high risk even if you're not currently high-cost, you're high-risk, you can be put into this impaired health support group. It would be a subsidized group. We'd actually be shifting from the current Obamacare level of subsidies, which goes up to, as we've described in previous sessions, up to over $100,000 potentially uh, for family income of over $100,000. They could get some subsidy. But we're going to take those subsidies under Obamacare and put them where they're really needed, for people who have impaired health. They need to have coverage that would otherwise be unavailable or even unaffordable given their level of impairment. So, simple, direct, easily communicated. One, two, three, application acceptance, certificate of guaranteed coverage, or participation in the impaired health support group. Everybody would qualify under one of those three. So, it really can work. Now, it sounds real simple, but as you know, many times the devil's in the details, how it's structured, how it actually works. Well, that's the silver lining again. This thing actually will work, and it's been reviewed by other actuaries that have said, yes, it'll work. Now, they may differ on whether it's 2 or 3% of the population is uninsurable or not. They say some have said it could be as high as 8%, but now we're arguing over something that doesn't even exist. If, this, if the structure works, it can work between 2 and 3% or up to 8%. That's just a matter of how much financing there is, how much money is available from the state and or federal government to help subsidize, and how much we do subsidize people who are high risk. What is third option for guaranteed coverage in the impaired health support group? it may actually be less than 2% of the population. A pre-Obamacare study states that perhaps only 1% of the population is both uninsured and uninsurable. It's really hard to know for sure how many people are truly uninsurable. But there's ample evidence that the number and cost is much smaller than most policymakers presume. Obamacare proved the number of uninsurables to be lower than expected. Included in Obamacare was a a three-and-a-half-year transition program most people forget or didn't even know about it. It was known as the Pre-existing Condition Insurance Plan, called PCIP, Pre-existing Condition Insurance Plan, which launched in the summer of 2010. The Affordable Care Act appropriated $5 billion to finance the program, 3 years later, by April 30th, 2013, at the end of the test period, there were only 110,298 individuals enrolled in the pre-existing condition insurance plan. A Kaiser Foundation study in 2011 showed the uninsured as a percentage of the individual market to be 2.2%. The individual market is only about 5 to 10% of the population. Therefore, the presumed uninsurables would amount to less than 1% of the total privately insured population. In the pre-Obamacare world, this group was shunted off into state high-risk pools, if they even had those choices or knew about them. These are the people that we didn't want to talk about. They were actuarial risks. They were underwriting risks. And the structure, one of them just go away. We don't need you around. You're going to mess up the risk pool. You're going to mess up the cost of care. So here's this outlet over here, and it'll make us feel better by saying we're going to put you into this high-risk pool. But these pools were limited in benefits and high in premiums. They provided little to no support for those among us who are the sickest and most in need. Omega Health reverses that approach and offers the uninsurables, the impaired health support plans. I start from this position. No one wants to be labeled as high risk, but most with health problems would welcome a health support plan. We should be giving people who are in the impaired health support plans the best of care the best alternatives, the best education about their situation. They should have everything that any major, large national employer, any large self-insured plan provides to their employees and their dependents, whether that's where they should be going for treatment, where the best treatments are, how to do preventive, and getting them information on how they might be able to prevent the condition they have, or to keep it from getting worse, to stabilize it, to help with recovery. There's lots of support and information, lots of services that we know are successful, that we've been doing in large self-insured employers for decades. We now need to bring that kind of support down to the sickest among us, those people that in the past we kind of shunned off to the side. So what are the takeaways from this simple overview? We're going to get into a lot more detail but this simple overview, the 1-2-3 approach, what are the takeaways from this section? Well, MAGA Health's empowering of consumers occurs when individuals and groups are applying and negotiating with insurance for coverage. That's the empowering part of MAGA Health concept. And we know that empowered consumers under this approach are guaranteed an option for comprehensive major medical coverage in one of three ways. Now, if they want something other than comprehensive coverage, they have those options as well. If they just want catastrophic and they can uh, afford to pay more out of pocket, or if they want more limited time period of coverage till they get recovered and can get back into their group or that they can look for some other insurance coverages, that's fine. We're not gonna, under this approach, mandate anybody have any particular kind of coverage. There will be lots of options, but for those sickest among us, they will have guaranteed option for a good, affordable, comprehensive major medical insurance because most of them are going to need that level of coverage. So anyone applying for health insurance is guaranteed coverage for pre existing conditions either through an employer-sponsored group plan or as an individual. The MAGA Health segments the uninsured into a highly consumer-centric patient-centered support group plan that offers all the services of any large sponsored health insurance program. So, what's next? Well, the real important thing is this new entity we've been talking about, the Health Review Authority. So, let's come back in the next section. Next segment on America's Web Radio, Healthcare Insight, and let's talk about the details of how all this comes down. Any of you have lots of questions that you've been sending in. I'm sure this next segment will create even more. So we'll be right back after these commercials.
0: Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for
1: listening. Welcome back to Healthcare Insight on America's Web Radio. For more information or past programs, just go to americaswebradio.com and search for Healthcare Insight. And if you're interested in health and healthcare, there are a lot of other programs that are being put on by America's Web Radio. So it's a great resource, not only to look at this program and its history and anticipation of the weeks to come. But also in the other programs where doctors and psychologists, psychiatrists, and others are talking about health care. If you're interested in this topic, it's a great resource to go to. So let's talk about this Health Review Authority. Its governance and structure is going to be very important. I refer to it as a public-private partnership established to review individual and group members rejected for coverage or deemed a high cost risk by participating insurers now this health review authority has to create a delicate balance of power much like our founding fathers did when they created the sharing of power and the balancing of power between the executive the legislative and judicial branches the health review authority has to be something that's balanced it can't be controlled by the insurance industry which would tend to want to push everything into a subsidized government section of the impaired health support plan. And that is going to have to have subsidies from the state and or federal. And there's other ways of funding it that will go through. there would be fees and licensing and, and uh, a number of, I think there's about 10 different items that we'll list out on how to fund the uh, administrative costs and the claims costs uh, for those who are going to be in the impaired health support plans. But it can't be controlled by the insurance industry because you can see how they would just push everybody there for their own self-interest in getting them out of any private insurance. As well, it can't be controlled just by governmental entities, by bureaucrats, who simply want the insurance company to take on poor risks, where they don't take anybody or a very limited number of people into the impaired health support group. And they'll just give everybody certificates of guaranteed coverage. So that can't be the process. So it has to be established with standards that are acceptable to determine who's insurable and who's not. Historical underwriting guidelines do exist for fair and impartial determining of being uninsurable. Now, it's not crystal clear the insurance industry doesn't have standard underwriting principles. They never have. They've all done a little differently. But if you consolidate those and look across nationally, there are organizations that existed and still exist that can help in structuring universal standards for what's appropriately defining for defining those people who are uninsurable So, in addition, the Health Review Authority will oversee and manage this impaired health support group. So, they'll determine who goes into it, and then they'll manage that impaired health support group coverage. For policy administration and public management oversight responsibilities, the Health Review Authority should typically be assigned to the Department of Insurance at the state level or to Health and Human Services at the federal level. But, again, it can't be just a new governmental entity. It has to be something that has some industry input so there's an appropriate balance that helps the consumer, but also doesn't try to bankrupt our country in support of an insurance industry that ought to be doing more to take on these lives. So insurance company underwriting and risk selection should be vested in each separate insurer, we shouldn't be trying to tell them exactly what they need to do and how they should be going through their own risk selection. Let them do what they're going to do. Companies should be able to continue to develop proprietary internal standards. However, a viable individual or small group private market cannot exist if only the young and healthy can purchase insurance by establishing a public-private partnership called the Health Review Authority. It will review applications that have been rejected by participating insurers. Rejected applications will be determined to either be insurable or uninsurable. If you're insurable but have been declined coverage by one of the participating insurers, those applicants rejected for coverage from participating insurers can challenge the underwriting decision with the Health Review Authority. If they are deemed to be insurable, they will be given a certificate of guaranteed coverage. If the applicant applying to the Health Review Authority is an individual and is determined to be insurable, the individual will be given a certificate of guaranteed coverage to secure affordable coverage at rates appropriate to the health status and history of the individual. If the applicant is a member, not an individual, but a member, of an employer-sponsored, fully insured small group of 50 or fewer employees, and is determined to be insurable, the group member will be given a certificate of guaranteed coverage to secure coverage with an employer-sponsored group health plan at rates appropriate to the health status and history of the individual or group. Now, this is a really important part of MAGA Health. It's a little bit profound, a little bit subtle, But you see, most people get their coverage through their employer, and we would rather have employer-subsidized insurance than government-subsidized insurance. So this will work a couple of ways. If the states have laws, and many do, that a group can be declined in total because of the health status of an individual, that individual then could Apply to the certificate of guarantee, the certificate for a certificate of guarantee coverage from the health review authority. That individual then would be taken out of the group with no more responsibility by the group or the insurance company taking on that group as coverage. So that group now can have very affordable coverage. Maybe everybody else is standard rates or even below standard rates because you removed the high cost, high risk individual and put them in a support group where they can really be taken care of and it would be subsidized. Also, if a group is accepted, but there is still one person who is uninsurable in that group or is felt to be anyway, they can apply to have that individual removed. Some states mandate insurance to the small group marketplace. So in that case, instead of mandating and bad risk and good risk are all taken into the small group market, which raises the price for everybody, even in those states. MAGA Health would then say, well, yeah, you're required to offer insurance to small groups, but we'll allow an outlet for those who are determined to be uninsurable, and we can pull those out so you now have more standard-type rates for the remaining group. So participating insurers are obligated to offer coverage to any fully insured group, if the member determined by the health review authority is determined to be insurable and granted a certificate of guaranteed coverage. So once that individual is pulled out, the group now becomes guaranteed issue coverage. That group becomes a guaranteed issue group. An individual certificate of guaranteed coverage can be taken to any participating in carrier. So if an individual is applying, and they get a certificate of guaranteed coverage, they can take it back to any participating carrier, not just the original carrier rejecting that insured, for guaranteed issue and coverage of pre-existing conditions. So anybody participating, you can go to them. Maybe you'll get a better rate than you even thought you had from the first company that rejected you. So the premiums for that individual then with the certificate of guaranteed coverage will be at standard rates, or with any premium rating or temporary benefit limits as deemed appropriate by the Health Review Authority. But that additional amount cannot be more than 10% over standard rates. There could be some limitation for three months or six months, but not unlimited restrictions, just temporary benefit restrictions. Let's say if somebody has got a condition, they're not uninsurable, but they need to be maintained on that medication for at least six months before... Uh, they could uh, get full coverage. So they might be given a limited uh, benefit structure that they can take back, but they still have the certificate of guaranteed coverage, and then after three months or six months, they would have no restrictions whatsoever. Now, participating insurers must accept these certificates of guaranteed coverage, and they would have to accept them equal to the number of individual applicants they previously rejected for coverage. So think about that for a moment. Each participating insurer will be keeping up with the number of individual applicants that they previously rejected, and carriers rejecting relatively good risks might find that they are required to accept much worse risks. Those individuals with a certificate of guaranteed coverage could go back to a company who rejects a lot of lives and only keeps the very best. But when that individual comes back with a certificate of guaranteed coverage, they would have to give that individual coverage at standard rates or any small markup or any small restriction as determined by the Health Review Authority. So, by balancing the application process in this way, carriers will begin to accept more applicants and industry underwriting standards will be voluntarily moderated in favor of the consumer because those companies don't want to reject relatively good lives and get back slightly worse lives with certificates of guaranteed coverage. So there's no need to force the industry to do anything. By signing up and being a participating company, they will over time moderate their underwriting standards and they'll become more uniform across all the different carriers without forcing them. So the federal, state laws, regulations will not have to mandate individual company underwriting risk selection standards. Over time, insurers will begin to approve more lives so as not to have to accept those with a certificate of guaranteed coverage. Which may or may not as, be as healthy as the lives they've turned away. Okay, I know for some of you, your heads may be spinning. This whole description of the process of how the health underwriting authority will work and how it will interact with an insurance companies sounds complicated. It's really not. We'll get into a little bit more detail, a little bit more clarity. We'll uh, reinforce the concepts We'll repeat the concepts, and I think it'll begin to absorb into your understanding. You certainly can go back and listen and repeat this section so that you have a better understanding of what we're talking about. But basically, it's the idea that anybody who applies for insurance is going to get insurance, and there's going to be a leveling of the playing field between the insurance company and the individual, and I've just described how that will work. It'll all be blind to the individual or to the small group. It will work within the health um, uh, review authority. But the structure I've just outlined will create that equalizing of the balance of power in the application process for insurance to assure that insurance companies are acting as insurers and taking on a risk and establishing a risk pool for those insurers that is as low as it possibly can be to make products affordable And take those people who need a subsidy and provide them a subsidy and all the support that they need to get better, to follow the doctor's orders, to understand their condition, and hopefully to get to recovery. So we're going to do a little bit more of that when we come back. So this is Healthcare Insight on America's Web Radio. We'll be right back. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. And the program is called Healthcare Insight, Creating the Possible. So at the end of the last section, we talked about getting into a little bit more of the rejected and uninsurables. Well, if the Health Review Authority determines that an applicant is truly uninsurable based upon the standards that they accept that become national standards by this public private entity. That is, individuals among the two or 3% of the population, they will be offered coverage in an impaired health support group. Participating insurers submitting individuals who are determined to be uninsurable and are accepted into the impaired health support coverage will no longer be obligated to offer coverage to that individual. They will have coverage. And so the insurance company is sort of stepping out of the scene at that point. The risk-bearing entity for the impaired health support group may be another insurance company that is contracting with the health review authority. It may be the same company, but it will be, a separate discussion, a separate entity that is providing the insurance for the uninsurables. Participating insurers submitting members of employer-sponsored small group plans. Remember, I'm differentiating now between individuals that are accepted into the impaired health support group and plan members. That's the right language to use, the plan members of an employer-sponsored small group who are determined to be uninsurable can exclude those individuals from any group requirements for underwriting, premiums, acceptance, or renewal of a small group plan. So members who are submitting to the Health Review Authority, plan members of a small group, if they're actually determined to be uninsurable, they will be pulled in to the Impaired Health Support Plan And that group will continue to be covered by the insurance company or get coverage from the insurance company. And that individual basically will be excluded from that plan because they will be in an Imperial Health Support Plan with premium subsidies uh, to cover their costs and their claims. Means the remaining group will have much lower premiums. And the whole idea of this approach is to make products more affordable to those small groups so that employers in the under-50 life market will begin to take on more and more uh, individuals and provide coverage. We would rather have them do that in the small group marketplace than government programs. Remember, if you're in a government program and you're being subsidized, the more money you make, the less subsidy you get. So there's a disincentive to actually get ahead, to advance, to take that new job. Whereas if we do it this way, as MAGA Health has described, you're going to get coverage one way or the other. But as you make more money, as you advance, take a new job, you don't lose this coverage. It stays with you. You're, You're still in this group. It's more portable if you're in the Impaired Health Support Plan, and you don't lose the subsidies if you make more money. Now, there's another twist that makes it really important for companies to want to participate. Most companies aren't that excited about individual policies. That's a very expensive marketing process to sell policies one at a time. But they love group plans. Small group plans are a key market for many. So what we want to do is have companies participating that offer both individual and small group. Some companies avoided high-risk pool options in the past because they didn't even offer individual policies, so they were not included as a place where you could historically shun people off into this limited coverage. Companies didn't even offer those products, so they didn't they didn't get their share of uh, these higher-cost, high-risk individuals. Well, under MAGA Health, if you're going to participate, you have to offer both. But the real kicker is not just the small group we just described, how you can pull people out of that and make that small group plan affordable. There's one more good twist. That in addition, at the first annual policy renewable, renewal for a fully insured group, any uninsurable individual in that renewal group can also apply for the impaired health support coverage plan. In other words, if, everybody was insurable or somebody got taken out to make the group insurable at first application, on the first renewal of that plan, and something happens during that year, an illness hits somebody, an accident hits somebody, whether it's an employee or a family member, they can then be pulled out again. So it's sort of like the insurance companies get two bites of the apple to keep their premiums low, and small employers also get the benefit that if something was to happen, their premiums aren't going to spike. So, moving uninsurable people with impaired health conditions from small group plans that both the initial and first renewal year is a major feature of MAGA Health. It will make small, fully insured groups more affordable. Estimates are that small group premiums could be lowered by as much as fifteen. percent the 20%. That's based upon some studies by the Employee Benefit Research Institute that said just 1% of the population has 20% of the claims. Well, it's an industry study, and sometimes as an actuary, I find myself a little bit skeptical of the numbers and think it might be a little overstated. So the estimate that I would go by is that if you remove 2 or 3%, that the premiums could be lowered as much as 15 to and 20%. If you believe the Eber report, it could be lowered by even more than that once we start to lower uh, the premiums by taking out more and more of the population. So I'm saying that it could be lowered by as much as 15 and 20% is a reasonable target. Now, the administration and risk sharing for the Impaired Health Support Group would be similar to the industry's participation in the Federal Employee Health Benefit Act. And there, most of the insurance companies will share the risk. There will be one major entity that is doing all the processing, all the claims payment, and then other companies will jump in and participate. They'll take a certain percentage based upon their overall size and capitalization of the company that they will then participate in this risk pool. The subsidized risk pool I'm calling the Impaired Health Support Plan. Now, keep in mind a couple things, and we'll get into a little bit more detail as we go along here, that the Impaired Health Support Plan is not a single plan. There could be many plans. There are a number of people who are uninsurable, but they're not high cost. I'll give you a personal example. A family member of mine has got a hereditary blood condition, but they take medication, They stabilize themselves, and they're not really high cost, but they are high risk. If they didn't take the medication, didn't take care of themselves, they would be much higher cost. In fact, their costs are no more than any average person because they take the medication appropriate for their condition. So that person, knowing that they can be compliant with the care and treatment, might, in fact, just say, give me a higher deductible plan. Give me a plan that is less expensive in premiums because I know that I can take care of myself. I want a plan that's going to cover my medications, cover my doctor's office visits, but I'm not going to be hospitalized as much as somebody else who doesn't take care of themselves. So I ought to be able to handle some of those other costs with a higher deductible plan, with a health savings account attached to it. So... There will be multiple options. It's not just a comprehensive plan. But comprehensive plan will be one requirement so that if people are really in need of that level of coverage, uh, they'll be able to have it. There will be a little higher cost within this pool, obviously subsidized, as we've been discussing, but will be more high cost than the high deductible plan, which would also be subsidized. Uh, but the individuals will take on more risk themselves. Let me give one more idea here of how this will probably be structured. When we're talking about people going to the impaired health support group plan, it is not individual policies. I would not recommend this be designed as individual policies, although some reading through this and giving their input as we would formally develop any of this might think in those terms because you think, well, it needs to be portable. Well, I think you can get that, but I would recommend that the individuals going in go into a group plan. Uh, The administration and most insurance companies offering group and individual is that they are separate departments. They have separate contracts on how to handle disease management programs, stress management programs, educational programs. They might have some overlap. But because large employers have been demanding all sorts of services for many years, the group side of an insurance company has many more services and capabilities and better deals, if you will, of providing those services than does the individual side. Many times the group side will have uh, better contracts and negotiated discounts from the hospitals and the doctors and uh, uh, physical therapists and the psychologists. So I would put these people in the um, impaired health support group that need the most help into a group plan that would have all the benefits of any large, major employer group plan. Anybody in the country, whether it's a Microsoft, an Intel, a GM, a Georgia Pacific, whatever it is, they would have all those benefits. And if they were to lose their job and go to another job, that individual would stay in the impaired health support group. So just the fact that it's a group plan doesn't mean that they would have to leave if they left their employer. So it would be portable. In fact it would just stay there. Because it's outside of the normal group health insurance programs. Once they have been put into the health impaired health support plan by the health underwriting authority, they then have that coverage for as long as they want or need that coverage. So let's talk about a few takeaways from this discussion of the Health Review Authority. The Health Review Authority will review individual and group members rejected by insurers for coverage. Rejected applications will be determined to be either insurable or uninsurable. If the Health Review Authority deems individuals are insurable, they will be given a certificate of guaranteed coverage. If an individual is uninsurable, they will be offered coverage in an impaired health support group plan. Small groups can apply to placed individuals in the impaired health support plan at the initial application for group insurance and at the first renewal, policy renewal. And estimates are that small group premiums could be lowered by as much as 15 to 20%. So, pretty simple. How we described how people get into and how the impaired health support group works underneath the health review authority. We're gonna get into even more details. so hang with us. I'll try to be as clear and concise as I possibly can be to describe the impaired health support group because those of us who may go into that need to know the specifics. Those of us who are not in it, wanna see and understand how's that gonna lower my premium if I stay and I'm insurable and I'm staying as an individual policy owner or I'm part of a small group. So next week we're going to get into even more details on the impaired health support group. Stay with me. Stay here on America's uh, Web Radio. There's a lot of information that you can learn and pick up on healthcare throughout. But this is Ron Bachman from Healthcare Insight on America's Web Radio. We'll see you next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com.
0: Thank you for listening.